Welcome to Filmstrip and our Superman retrospective series. Who is he? What's his name? Where does he come from? What's he got hidden under that cape of his? Batteries? Featuring Brian. Do you like pink? I like pink very much, Louis. And Jay. To a nice guy who's about to finish last. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of films featuring the Man of Steel. I tell you, boys and girls, whichever one of you gets it out is going to wind up with the single most important interview since God talked to Moses. And now, here's Brian and Jay. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And this is our review of Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, starring Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, John Cryer, Mark Pillow, and Muriel Hemingway, directed by Sidney J. Fury, released in 1987 on a budget of $17 million, grossed 15, a little over 15, in its box office run. So, Brian, we, we debated a little bit last time about whether or not the third one was a success, but financially it was. But it is worth noting that the Salkins, the producers of those first three films, did not do this one. They didn't go forward with this. After the third one, they wanted to do something else, and specifically they wanted to explore that Supergirl angle, so they ended up going off and making that movie. It was a huge flop. And then Warner's optioned this thing off to Canon Films. And I don't know if you know much about Canon Films. (laughs) Or Golan Globus, you know, I always call them the purveyors of like 80s schlock films because they did stuff like Invasion USA and Break In and Break In 2 and, you know, just uh, all sorts of random stuff. Death Wish, they did those movies, you know, that and that kind of stuff. And they were a big part of the Rambo franchise at one time and among other things. So they got a hold of this, wanted to do Superman 4. And Christopher Reeve had this story idea that he thought Superman should take on the nuclear arms race. And so they ended up getting the script hammered out. They got Sidney J. Fury, who has done a lot of movies, known for much better things. They, I, he did a, a film I really like called Iron Eagle. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. A good 80s film. But, you know, he was primarily a TV guy for a long time. But uh, they put this thing out and the intention was to have like a 30 million dollar budget man and then they got to putting it in production and (laughs) canon films didn't have a lot of money and they said nope 17 (laughs) and um then we get this and you you can tell they uh they were stretching that 17 million quite a lot in this one. <laughs> I think that's a good way to say it, man. Well, you know, look at the whole thing. I mean, look, a steep drop in everything. Oh, Budget, yeah. story, and time. This thing ranks in at under 90 minutes, and I dare say it's barely over 80. All the other ones were two hours. I mean, a good two hours of, you know, film and stuff. At least a good hour and 45 on each of them. And I, man, I was just blown away as to how far this thing dropped. I I think that's what surprised me. I didn't anticipate it getting this bad. And I know I had seen this before, Brian, but I had no memories of this going into it for this review. I don't believe I've ever seen this one. Uh, My kid did, and he was telling (laughs) me what was going to happen as it was going through, which I I was kind of shaking my head in in shame (laughs) as he was telling me. But uh, he's young. But uh, yeah, I have no memory of this at all, and uh, none of in watching it, none of it reminded me of ever seeing it. So I don't think I have. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I, I again, I had only seen maybe pieces of it, and it's I don't know. There's a lot 
to talk about with it here. That's for sure. But uh, yeah. I, I didn't remember. And I did watch it twice for this review. I watched it once with the only commentary track um, given this. Mark Rosenthal, one of the co-writers on this thing, um, who uh, co-wrote it with Lawrence Connor. He did a commentary track in 2006 for it. And Lawrence Connor is known for, like, The Sopranos and stuff. That's what he went on to do. So, obviously, he moved up in the world. <laughs> and Mark Rosenthal's done some better films. He did Mona Lisa Smile. And he did, I mean, whether you think it's good or not, he did The Planet of the Apes remake with Tim Burton. So, I mean, he's a working writer, has been for years. Well, let me say this. I've only heard one of their commentary track where someone was apparently given free reign to say, yeah, we know it's stuck. And that was Joe Berlinger, the director from Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. And he trashed what the end result of that film was because it got changed after he turned it in. But Rosenthal will like go through point by point telling you, oh, this is so sad. I feel so bad for this, y'all. Sorry, that was not what we wanted. I mean, that's the whole commentary <laughs> track. And uh, it's, it's quite funny. You've I'll convinced watch- me to watch it with the track on now. <laughs> yeah, well, Jay, let's... Let's go on and tell the people what this thing is about, because, wow. You know, there's sometimes we review bad movies, and I, I will say, you know, you probably should watch this beforehand. Like, if you've never seen this, folks, just hang on. We're going to give it all to you right now. We'll save you <laughs> that 90 minutes. And just, you can have laughs with us as we go forward. Arch nemesis Lex Luthor, along with his nephew, are determined to make the world safe for nuclear arms dealers. So the nephew breaks Lex out of prison, and the duo steal a hair that from Superman that is in the Metropolis Museum to create a new challenge for the Man of Steel, the radiation-charged Nuclear Man. Nuclear Man wreaks havoc on Metropolis, and while saving the Statue of Liberty and a lot of people, Superman is cut by Nuclear Man's claws and infected with radiation poisoning. Superman heals after using another crystal that he had hidden in the barn back in Smallville, apparently. And after a lengthy fight on the moon, Nuclear Man appears to have won. But Superman moves the moon out of orbit, causing an eclipse which nullifies Nuclear Man's powers. Superman throws him into the core of a nuclear power plant, destroying him once and for all. Superman puts Lex Luthor back behind bars and proclaims there will be peace when the people of the world want it so badly that their governments will have no choice but to give it to them, and then flies off into oblivion. (laughs) The end. That's pretty much it. I mean, there's a little bit more that happens here and there. There's a whole subplot with uh, the Daily Planet getting bought out by some people, and Merrill Hemingway tries to romance Clark Kent. But uh, Clark for the most Kent. part, that is <laughs> that's pretty much the main plot. I guess we should just get into this thing oh, and yeah. uh, and walk through it bit by bit. I want to say this. I agree with Rosenthal on one thing. From the opening credits, I mean, his first line is like, well, you can tell just by the cheesy, cartoony opening credits here how bad this is going to be. And it does look like something produced for, like, ABC after-school television. <laughs> it is awful, is it not? Yeah, it's terrible. And this is the first time in the uh, series of Supermans that we haven't had, like, an actual intro before the credits happen. Right. Uh, they just go right into the credits and get the movie going, because uh, apparently they know it's going to be a piece of shit. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. They concocted this as it was not a sequel to one or two. You know, we talked about that last time with three was supposed to be its own thing. This isn't even a sequel to three. This is just supposed to be its own standalone Superman story. And See, I don't know how this, they can do that if they're going to bring Lex Luthor back. It yeah. has to be a sequel to two. Well, in, in think about it like this, and I'll, I'll only defend this on this level, is that if you are to look at 
this film as like part of the Superman legacy, it would include characters from the Superman universe that may have been established in other stories, but this would be like a Saturday afternoon serial, you know, or one of the old radio serials, if you ever want to go back that far. That's how they envisioned this. Now, the execution of that vision is we're going to debate here, but that's what they were thinking when they did this even though it is going yeah. to include characters we knew before. Because it's also going to introduce people we didn't know existed. So wow. that's the other part of it. So. I mean, they, 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 the, the crux of it is they have all the same characters from 1 and 2 in this, right? Luthor's there. They've got Lois Lane's heavy in this. They got the uh, – what, what is he even called? The stupid editor. What, what's the his editor, name? Perry White. Yeah. Perry White. Perry yep. White. Then he's yeah. here. Jimmy Olsen's there. Uh, Superman, Clark Kent. I mean, they go back to Smallville and to the farm. I mean, this is obviously to me a, a you know, it, it has to follow the pattern because Luther's back in jail, breaking out for a second time. Well, but you don't have any Lana Lang. You know, she's well. Gone. You, the, have, you, I think you don't they, have missed. They throw three out of the water, right? This is one, yeah. two, and then this would be the third one. Well, but you also don't have Otis, and you don't have Miss Tessmacher. Now you have Lenny. The I don't think they're following one and two. I think what they are doing is taking characters established in one and two, and they're trying to create a standalone story because there was no sequel off of. Yeah, I just don't think you can. Yeah, I mean, you are yeah, if you're using the same bad guy. Mm -hmm. Lex Luthor, as were in 1 and 2, which 3 did not do. So you're using the same bad guy, as in 1 and 2, using all the same cast, introducing this new thing about the paper getting bought, you know, whoop-de-doo side story. That's a, that's a sequel. <laughs> that's a sequel to 1 and 2. Again, I'm just telling you, this is definitely a sequel. I think it is a standalone film in the same universe. I, I do believe that. Much like the way that the Bond films worked for years. There would be callbacks to things you knew. There would be characters from one series and even one Bond to the next, you know, M and Q and all that stuff. But they would not directly reference each other like sequels are wont to do. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's in the same universe. It's part of the same franchise, clearly. But I don't think it's a sequel to any of the previous ones. Well, if, if Lex Luthor is still trying to battle Superman, it's a sequel to me. Because that's what the point of the first two were. Is Lex Luthor trying to get over Superman. So he's still doing that. If they had only brought Nuclear Man in without Lex Luthor, then yes, I can see that. But this is still a continuation of Lex Luthor's attempt to take over the world and get rid of Superman. Well, it, it, it's really the fixation of his wanting to get rid of Superman. Yes. I think that it, it, I mean, one could argue it is, that is his only game this time. And Well, and to make a ton of money and to control the nuclear. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think he has a great line in there where he says something about, I don't want to start a nuclear war. I just want to keep the threat alive. Because you make you know, a ton of money, right? Like, which, you know, oddly enough, Brian, was exactly what the the politicians of that era were doing in a lot yeah. of ways on both sides. So, that yeah, that's an interesting point. Well, let's get into this thing. Okay, so the first bit here is we get some foreign relations, right, mm -hmm. in the form of space. <laughs> we have cosmonauts, one of which who is singing, I think, a Frank Sinatra song? I don't know. Singing a song in space, burning his very, you know, limited supply of oxygen when... He gets knocked out of the way, there's an accident, he's going to die, and the, the thing is spinning out of control, but who flies up to save it but Superman? And he gets the cosmonaut, 
and takes him back to his ship, and then he basically talks to him in Russian, like, have a good day, be careful next time. Yes. Uh, Superman knows Russian and apparently Italian in this uh, film. (laughs) Well, he should know Italian after that whole Leaning Tower of Pisa bit. (laughs) See, there you go. Maybe it is a sequel, Brian. Maybe they are going there. uh, Yeah. uh, That's the first thing I wrote down is, when did Superman learn Russian? And then, of course, later when he speaks Italian, apparently Superman knows Italian, too. So apparently he's versed in all the languages of Earth as well, or something. Well, look, he spent 12 years with his dad at the Fortress of Solitude University learning all things of 28 known galaxies. I, I guess parent, language yeah. study was a part of that. Maybe we just have never is. seen it. <laughs> but I'm with you. This is, boy, you talk about look, I mean, and look bad. Rosenthal says, and I love this too, he says, this film is like a collection of the worst special effects ever. Oh, yeah, I wrote that down too. The, the special effects in this film are absolutely crap. Well, when you have $17 million and most of that is going to your two lead characters, your lead stars, you don't have money to shoot anything that looks like anything. I mean, you did a $34 million. Well, one could argue if you did at $34 million. <laughs> you really don't at $17 million. Not even in 1987. Like, that, this, that is horrible. Yeah, it's so bad with the with. The, I mean, it looks like they basically took a uh, cut out cardboard Superman for the flying sequences and and showed in the long in in the long shots and show, <laughs> and just swooped it down, <laughs> dropped it or something. Oh, anytime Reeves does something in space, you can tell he's on a different set than what's behind him. It's almost like and you it's can rear see the, the the wires. It's so yes. bad. Oh, when he lands on the moon later. Oh, oh yeah, I wrote that down. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The <laughs> wires are like completely visible. Oh, it's terrible. And it's it's awful. And here's the thing. They had no money to hide it on the set. Yeah. They certainly had none in post-production to fix it. They had to just go with it. And it, I, I don't know if this is true or not. There's no record of it. And there, he didn't say anything about it. But, Brian, this thing feels to me like a lot of just one take. Like, they shot it. And we're like, we got it. Go. <laughs> and, I mean, At that budget, they'd have to, right? You th- you you got to think Gene ha- you got to think Gene Hackman was making good coin for this to be brought back right so there's a chunkier budget how much would they have to pay him i don't even know what his salary was for this but you figure it had to be it had to be pretty it good had, it had to be something to get him back for the but you know what the thing is brian he's not really in this that much i mean he is but he's not there's a lot of time spent on other people that you know lex Luthor just pops in and out of this story sure and, yeah. and that's different and then like superman 2 where he popped in and out because you had other villains to focus on but we get to focus on Meryl Hemingway's incredibly long legs a lot, which is not a bad thing. But for a Superman film, I don't know this is the way to go. Especially when she's seducing Clark Kent, of all people. I know. We'll have to get to the nerd love in a minute. But, but you know, the space rescue is awful looking. It's terrible, and we know it's terrible. But it's supposed to be we get an action scene right out of the gate. Because just like the last movie, they can't afford to really have Superman in this movie. So it's going to be a lot of Clark Kent. Which is kind of, well, yes, that, that's exactly. Yes. Now we go back to the farm, Jay. Now I don't know how many years it's been since uh, Martha Kent has passed. We we heard about it in the third film. Now who knows if they carry that on in this film or not or care. But we go back to the farm and Clark goes back into the barn and the crystal's still there. I thought he took that with him to build the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, I thought that's how he was able to rebuild the fortress after he had given up his powers because right. Lois left that laying around, and that's what got him. I mean, we're just going off the Richard Lester continuity, which is the continuity Correct. at this point for making this. 
that green crystal would have already been used. Right, because he threw it into the, le- the, the, the lake up in the North Pole, which, whatever. And that's where the fortress came out of. Then it was there in the second one, right. Oh, I want everybody to hold on to something you just said, though. He throws a piece of kryptonite into water, and stuff happens. Just hold that, because they are not done with that. Oh, <laughs> they yeah. will come back to that very soon. We'll talk about that next time. But <laughs> here's the thing. like There was no time travel reversal at the end of you know, part two at this point, that was, you know, not that ending had been thrown away that, you know, none of that is, you got to, you know, that's the thing is you look at these now and I know we're not doing it, but just for listeners and watchers of it, you can't assume that, I mean, you can't let the Donner cut of part two reflect what you know about Superman franchise. At this yeah, point, that was not exist, how this right? was. Yeah. yeah, it didn't exist. So, you know, I, I'm with you though. I thought he had used up the green crystal. Apparently there was another one in the barn all this time. I guess. <laughs> and his mother, this is the thing, is now, boy, we really, we get one more stretch from Susanna York. The mother comes back to state that this power can only be used once more. And I'm like, how many times is Superman going to be down to his last piece of crypto? I know. Right? Exactly. And, and just to have, you know, obviously they couldn't uh, bring in a Brando again. And they're following the pattern of two, having the elders as the videos and the mother speaking. And seriously, how come the mother can talk out in thin air? Because I don't remember there being a recorder there. But anyway, uh, my favorite part is the when the uh, the uh, old man who's trying to sell the farm for them is there, and there's that crib sitting there. And he explains yes. how Jonathan Kent told him that little baby Clark kicked it. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, but Clark was walking and th- at least three years old when he got there, he does not need a crib. That didn't even exist. Right. <laughs> like, that wasn't even a, an issue at the dock. Like, that made that made no sense at all. No. I thought that was ridiculous, too. I was like, no, no. Clark, the baby Clark was in a, in a kid's bed at worst. You know, I mean, you couldn't even have fit that kid in. That <laughs> exactly. Bed. And he was walking. He doesn't need a damn crib. <laughs> <laughs> But the whole point is so we can have this stupid scene where the guy, well, they have this conversation that that Clark's like, I don't want to sell my farm to a mall developer because you blink and just everything's gone. And by George, 20 years later, that's how it is. He didn't want to, he wants to sell to a real farmer. And the guy was, you know, they play a little game of baseball here. And of course, Clark strikes out, the guy drives away. And then of course, Superman hits the baseball to the moon. And I thought we were like getting a flashback scene and that is what had thrown the space program (laughs) off whack. And he had, oh crap, I got to go fix the the astronauts that I just killed (laughs) with my my baseball. That was what I thought. Yeah, he must have good vision to hit that thing away from everything in its path. But he comes back to the Daily Planet to learn that... Well, first, first, he's going on, uh, he's getting into the subway and he misses the train, right? Right. And the subway just starts speeding by and it misses its next exit because the, apparently, the the, the, has a heart the attack. Uh, driver has a heart attack and dies, so nothing stopped No, yet. no, no! He does not die. That's the thing. Oh. At the end of it, Superman goes in the cab and says, I think he'll be fine. He just needs a little medical attention. I'm like, the dude oh, okay. killed over. Right. Yeah, he saw, okay, so he passed out. And the thing's going out of control. And so Superman gets in front of the subway train. And <laughs> apparently he's electronically charged enough to step on the subway track and slow down the train that way. I'm pretty sure that's uh, not how subways work. Well, okay, subways are electro- are electrically charged. That's true. That's, yeah, that's a real but thing. I don't know that just giving a volt of electricity to the rail would stop the train. I'm pretty sure you have to do that from the train's end. 
I would think so too. You know what it was supposed to be? Okay, I can only talk about what it was, what the intention was. There was supposed to be this chase scene with Superman flying through the tunnels and all this turns and curves and stuff. And then they, you know, they had seventeen million dollars, and they said, "Well, he can stand in front of it and just stop it." And so that's what we get. It would have been more believable if he stood in front of it and stopped it with his hands, but to set yeah. his foot on there and just hold his hand out and it doesn't even touch him. Weird. Yeah, it's pretty lame. I, I agree. It's, but the worst, the worst is the end of it where yes. he says, "I think the guy's fine." <laughs> no, that's not the worst. The worst is his public announcement. Oh, the subway, the subway is still is... the best place to travel. <laughs> yes, what the hell? Why does Superman have to give travel tips? Why does he have to give public announcements? It's still pretty <laughs> safe to travel on this, folks. The safest form, in fact. That's what uh, I'm wondering. I don't know either. That That is it's quite the problem. Yeah. So, <laughs> na- so now we get to the Daily Planet and, and we get the uh, yes. news the, that the we're getting bought out. Yes. <laughs> have bought the tabloid tycoons. Okay. Now, this was definitely something of the 80s, right? When the t- the tabloid journalism of the day had, you know, it was taking over real news, right? That mm-hmm. was what everybody thought. And... That's what's happening, and of course Perry White is just infumed about this, and he's just sick to his stomach about the changes. And we meet the new owner, David Warfield, and his daughter Lacey. Now that's Mariel Hemingway, yep. and she's installed as the new editor. Basically, it's like automatic. She meets Clark Kent, and everyone else that meets this guy is like, "What a doofus!" Mm-hmm. Right? She meets him, and it's like she is star-crossed and in love with the dude. Well, here's what I think, right? So that she thinks he's kind of neat and whatever, and then Lois goes on to tell her that she has no chance because he doesn't see her. So I think she looks at it as a challenge for her, that she falls for him because he doesn't goo-goo over her. So she's she's a man-eater? Is that what you're trying no, to no, say? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, is that because the fact that normally guys go goo-goo-gaga over her and Clark doesn't, it makes him more attractive yeah. to her. So that's how I think that worked. So he's a challenge is what you're saying. Right. Interesting. And that, that she gets blinded by it because now he, he doesn't have the normal effect, so he must be one that I need to chase. That's the way I see it. Now, meanwhile, <laughs> hammering away at Rock in prison, Lex <laughs> Luthor. I don't know what happened to Otis. I don't know what happened to Miss Tessmacher. Maybe she flew away and went to see her now living mother in New Jersey. Maybe Otis, you know, joined the <laughs> some kind of gang in prison and you her <laughs> hanging out with Lex. I don't know. Or but maybe Lex he served Luthor- his time and is out. Uh, maybe so. I don't know what his sentence was. I just know Luther was, was 25 years well, for all that he did, and that's what he got. Obviously, okay. you know, they don't have much of a judicial system in this metro- metropolis because they just drop him off in prison and These done. These cops are like straight out of the Dukes of Hatch, aren't <laughs> yes, they? Aren't they? <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, this is so bad. <laughs> and now here's the thing. John Cryer pulls up as Lenny, his nephew, okay? Lenny Luthor. A character we didn't know existed mm-hmm. until now, but okay, here he is. And here's the thing. He's got this, like, reverse faux hawk going on. He's got the blonde <laughs> down the middle and black on the sides. In 1987, John Cryer is in another movie that I really like called Hiding Out. And in that movie, he's got the exact reverse haircut. It's black in the center and blonde on the sides. <laughs> must have been and, filming at the same time. <laughs> that's what I was wondering. I, I don't know. I, I would think this one probably filmed before Hiding Out. Hiding Out's a very small drama compared to this so they probably shot this and then he shot that but he is coming off of the popularity of being in pretty in pink i don't know if you've ever seen that or not but he was the you know the infamous uh friend zone guy <laughs> to mm-hmm, the hot mm-hmm. girl or the the central girl in the john hughes movie and so he's coming off of the steam of that 
long before two and a half men and stuff, John Cryer was doing these little parts like this. And it is like no, noted and quoted by, by Christopher Reeve in his book that he wrote about his life is that John Cryer was the only person excited at the premiere because he felt like, you know, being in this <laughs> big action movie was going to launch him and this was going to be massive. And <laughs> Reeve said, I had to pull the kid aside and go, look, man, we all know this is terrible. Just brace yourself. <laughs> yeah, nice. And he is a cross between... I don't I don't know. He is kind of like a knockoff Spicoli from Fast Times at Richmond High. <laughs> he he says like this. He has this surfer dude language that he uses, but then he is also apparently real technically proficient. Like I don't get what this guy's deal is at all. But he pulls up in this white Cadillac, and then he basically is showing off the stereo system, which consists of his Walkman. <laughs> And horns. And, and horns. <laughs> and he gets the two cops in the car because, of course, they're going to leave their, you know, heavily guarded prisoners to go listen to music in this guy's car. He drives them off of a cliff, and we see it crash. And I, like, was aghast. I thought, wow, they have gone for it here. I, was, I did not expect that. No, nope, they're fine. They just crawl up, and they're kind of, you know, sued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing like landing on your head. <laughs> From a nice big drop. <laughs> Tell me this. There was no roof on that car. <laughs> so how did they manage? Did they duck underneath the floorboards? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know, but it is awful. That's what I do know. That is a, yes, yes, well, one of is. the many awful conceits that you have to give a film. Pretty yeah. bad. Now, we talked about last time how hard it was to like give the gimmies for Superman 3. Uh, I'm, I'm out. I am fresh out of those now, and this is, I am rejecting every minute of this yeah. actively. And that to me is bad. Like, that's when I know I've got something here that is just terrible, because I should at least be with the thing on some level, even if it's just camp, if it's just ridiculous, but I can't go with any of this, because it is just dumb. Mm, it is very and it treats dumb. The, and it treats the audience with such contempt. That's the thing. <laughs> you let, know, let, let's act, talk about yeah. Let's talk about dumb Jay. Let's because go. as we're back at the uh, the office talking about the next s assignments that we're going to be given, uh, the president is on the air, and he is basically saying that it is now negotiations have failed, and it is now the fact that we're going to be number we're second to none in the arms nuclear arms race. And not only is the press people watching this. But every school <laughs> across America apparently is also watching this at that exact same time. They apparently all got a memo. President's going to be on TV right now. Turn it on. And what happens? But the president says this. They turn off the TV, and the teacher now has the kids try to solve the problem. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about this, kids? I'm like, this is a class of third graders. I want yeah. them to be able to solve their cursive letters and color in the friggin' line. Yeah. You know, I understand she's trying to teach you know civics and social responsibility stuff like that, but I mean the fact that that becomes the crux of the film and it is oh. a big part of this movie. Yes, that little Jimmy's wishes, you know, because what does he say? He said, "Well, I know who I'd call. I'd I'd freaking call Superman because he he can fix everything." And I was like, uh, "Oh, yes, we're going there." And I like the line. Well, maybe we should write to our senators. Now they won't do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the, the point of that? Dad, screw them. <laughs> call call. The alien. Call Superman, yep. <laughs> yeah. He can take them all out by himself, right? <laughs> Tom Mankiewicz, the, the guy who wrote one and, and the better part of two and was a big part of the, the early formation of this thing, told Christopher Reeve when Reeve was telling him this story idea, you don't want to do this, Chris, because when you give Superman 
problems to solve that are actually solvable, you create a real paradox and problem. And this the central part of this, right, is if you have this omnipotent being, why doesn't he just solve everything for everyone yes. so that it's utopia? And not only that, you give Superman a political jaunt and you alienate half the people in the world. <laughs> Don't give him a political agenda. We've already set Superman up to be like the, I mean, he's the ultimate in foreign relations because what's the first thing he did? He went and rescued a bunch of cosmonauts. Right. And now, now he's just enemy. like, I'm taking all of your weapons away. Uh, it was, uh, wow. I, I don't even know what to say about that. It was just very sad. And then what happens is uh, they're, they're sitting there and a letter comes in to the Daily Planet because apparently that's where Superman gets his mail. Yes, through and, Lois Lane. Yes, and Lois <laughs> gives it to Clark to read. And what does Clark do? Clark reads it in Superman voice. Yes, he and nobody catches Kent. it. Exactly. He doesn't <laughs> use Clark Kent voice, and Lois doesn't even notice. You know, he had the super kiss last time. Maybe he has super voice, too. I don't know. Well, he has super <laughs> kiss again this time. We'll get to that. Oh, we're, we'll get to the super <laughs> kiss again. Yeah, he reads it in Superman voice. And the whole thing is like, well, what, what? I wonder what Superman will say. Well, I'm sure he'll do the right thing or whatever. And the tabloid journalism you know, owner's like, Superman tells kid to go drop dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That to me was hilarious. I was like, well, that is very inside edition. And then they propped the kid up. You know, we don't even know where this school is. I guess it's in Metropolis. They don't say. But then they propped the kid up by the hot dog stand like, I all I wanted to do was answer me. <laughs> and so that turns into this huge scandal. It does. And, and well, and then what Superman have to do? He has to save his own face <laughs> because of it. Why would he care he's freaking Superman? Well, because he can't have a bad <laughs> press image. People will turn against him. You can't do that to Superman. Okay, so you have the, I guess you would call it the A plot. I don't know. What's the A plot and the B plot? You have the one plot of Superman deciding he's going to take on the, the problem of nuclear issues. I would say that's the A plot. Okay, well, then you have the incredible B plot. And by B, I mean bumbling. Yeah, well, yeah. Lex Luthor's plan with his nephew is to, I have to create a being from genetic mutation that can take on Superman. Now, by itself is not a... T I mean, okay, that that's, seems crazy, but I, I get it. I get what you're doing, Lex. That that makes... I want to say this word, and it, it's not true, but it makes sense on some level. <laughs> yeah. Then they go to so a museum true. that is giving tours, and they show that Superman's hair is like holding a 1,000 pounds, one strand of hair, right? And their answer to that is they break the glass and they cut it with a pair of Walmart-style bolt cutters. If the hair can hold the weight, how do they cut it? Well, that's a good question. But my favorite thing is is that he sits and stares at it while the alarms are going off instead of hightailing it out of there. He just is like, hey, look at this. No this one's coming. cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh, no one's coming. This alarm is just going off. Once again, the way they do Lex Luthor is is hilarious because we saw in the first one how he switched in and out of all these different characters to get the nuclear weapons. Now we're seeing him just mm -hmm. it's like nothing matters. Like I'll just do whatever I want. He becomes a general. He, I mean, it's I mean, he, he just keep, he keeps getting out of prison. I mean, he apparently he's got people to break him out all the time. So how did he get word yeah. to let? We don't even know. It doesn't matter. But yeah, but, you know, apparently yeah. he's got away. Maybe yeah, he can it, use a super high frequency. <laughs> oh, well, he'll do that again later, yeah. too. So again, we'll a callback. There you go. Yeah. I call, you call it a callback. I call it lazy. Well, but, yes, but it is a callback. It, it is what they do. But you've got that going on while the 
infamous Jeremy letter is is going down. So what does Superman do? Well, he does what Superman always does. Goes and asks people who've been dead for a thousand of years for advice. He goes to the Fortress of Solitude, which we've already established. The Fortress of Solitude is back. What the crap? I know. And it's pretty. pretty. He gets advice from what can best be described as the Wizard of Oz faces. It looks like people standing by a curtain. It's the Kryptonian Council, the ones that, you know, sentenced their own people to die because they wouldn't listen to Jor-El. Kal-El is now going to listen to them for advice. I guess when you got nobody else. Why would they care? Because they hate, (laughs) they hate his dad, right? He was trying to turn on them. Right. Yeah, their knowledge, we have no reason to believe their knowledge was a part of. Well, we have no reason to believe their knowledge is any good. Well, yeah, I mean, they got their own planet destroyed. And that's what he says is like, I don't want this planet to wind up like mine. You know, what do I do? And they do the whole thing again about you can't interfere with human history. And, you know, I'm going, is he ever going to listen to this advice? Absolutely not. <laughs> Clearly. Obviously not. He he blew it off a, couple, a few times already now. So And then he goes and gets advice from Lois Lane. Let's talk about this scene for a second Please. there, Jay, because he's sulking so bad over this nuclear issue that he totally forgets. Yeah. He almost blows Lois Lane off if she hadn't come to her come to his door to say, Where are you? He would have blown her off. But then Clark. The- Clark blows her off. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, he, yeah, he's Clark when she shows up, but he's Superman when he's she. Was she not comes there. to be picked up. Yeah, and then he, of course, does the magical change that she doesn't notice, and they go <laughs> the glasses. <on> a, <laughs> they, they go on a repeat, a truncated okay. one, albeit yes. a repeat of the flight from the first movie. Yes. Now, first off, Jay, the the whole reveal. What the hell was the point of it? Other than to say, hey, this scene worked, I guess, in Superman 1, which let me just tell you it did not. Um, Let's do it again. And all of a sudden, Lois remembers everything that happened. You don't even know my name. It's Kal-El. You remembered. I remember everything. Kiss, she's blank again. Really? This must be short-term memory loss. (laughs) To my criticism of lazy screenwriting. When you have nothing else, you try to recreate emotions from previous film or previously established in the franchise but you cut out the thing that if it worked at all made that work and there was a give and take in that first one superman yeah. was showing lois what he could do and she was basically pouring her mind out you know about oh i'm so enamored with this guy he's the greatest man oh, ever. The poem. Right? i mean yeah and, and it's a dreadful poem but for the 1970s it was what it was that worked and at least there was some emotional resonance to that now at the end of this, he kisses her and she like stays frozen in kiss mode. Mm-hmm. You know, she's sort of kissing the air. And then he comes back in and he's like, uh, aren't you a little cold? And she's now forgotten again. And I'm like, he has got to be causing memory damage to her. He's flashy thing. Major brain much. problems. Yes. <laughs> flashy yes. thing. Yes, exactly. Yes. And he is uh, way too much. If she remembered what spurred the memory, the flight caused her to remember everything, or she just was a, a very good na- at playing naive, I don't know. Okay, here, this is the other thing. It makes Superman look like a, compl- I mean, the real jerk he was in part three for about 25 minutes, right? Right. He like, needs to he get it off of his chest. Wants. Mm-hmm. So he re- he reveals this to her because it gets it off of his chest, and now they know, and he can have a little fun with her. And then when he's done with her, he pushes her to the side. Yeah, That's right. Pretty chauvinistic. 
Well, that, yeah, and let's just say he 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 does this to her by making her think he's going to kill her, <laughs> jumping yes. off the t- the ledge of a building. Anyway, <laughs> no, uh, don't. It's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's like holy crap, dude. What the hell? <laughs> Let me just jump you off a building with me. I can't take enough blows. Come with me, Clark. No. Oh, you're Superman. Oh, I seem to have remembered that. I know this all. It along. just makes you. It just makes you think. Now, what else is he doing to people? And then making him forget. Clay, mm, I'm like, this guy, don't get good. the whiskey near the guy, because we know what that <laughs> does. And if you get the cigarettes, the tar is the last one. There you go. So, but yeah, so he, this is what he comes up with, though, after this. He goes to a meeting of the United Nations. Oh, dear God. Right? And he announces to everyone that I am going to take it upon myself to rid the Earth of nuclear weapons. Now, let's talk about this before we talk about how he rids the Earth of them for a minute. Okay, Brian? How many trillions of dollars are spent? Just just Russia and America here. Forget everybody else because we're kind of it at that point, right? How many trillions of dollars are tied up in the manufacturing and maintaining of these this nuclear ordinance, you guess? Oh, lots. I mean, it's pretty much <laughs> Russia's billions. budget, because as we well, know, now, that's what Now we're in the billions, them. right? Yeah. So, oh, I think we're even beyond that, too. Yeah, yeah. His idea is he goes and, like, they're whether they're being test-launched or he just steals them or whatever, he gathers them all into a giant net in Earth orbit, and then he throws it into the sun. Okay. Now, yeah. okay, I got problems with I got a lot of problems with this, Jay. Number one, I, I'm pretty sure countries just don't go around blasting nukes into space at random, and especially in that quantity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and then number two, you throw a nuclear bomb at the sun, you're going to do a lot of damage to the solar system, my friend, because it's just a freaking planet. It's just a star. So, uh, it's, yeah. It's a rather large star that's already a tad volatile. That you've just thrown a hundred nuclear bombs at. <laughs> Let's not make it more volatile. Oh. That might that might cause problems. <laughs> you think? Why not just hurl them into nothing, into the nothingness of space? That's what I said. I was like, this is ridiculous. Throw it back at Krypton, the area that was. Yeah, something. <laughs> well, I, maybe maybe it's too. Well, simple. no, because then it might hit the uh, it might hit the uh, the, 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 the the phantom zone again. Yes, yeah. Oh, well, no, wait a minute. No, no, no. Up. Remember. Remember, no, no, the honor cut doesn't exist. They're dead at the bottom of what used to be the oh, Fortress that's of Solitude. Right. That's right. My so, bad, my bad. Oh, so, the new resurrected so, Fortress of Solitude, yes. Superman throws the nuclear stockpile into the sun. And here's the thing, though. This is the the third thing that I have a problem with in it, because you just hit my, my first two. Everyone on Earth, all of the governments, everyone except you know, Lex Luthor and his cronies that we'll meet in a minute, are okay with this. <laughs> They're like, right. sure, Superman, just end the Cold War. Single-handedly. What? Well, if anyone can, I guess it's Superman. But my question is, how did he find the rest of the bombs? Because they aren't blasting all their bombs when they make them. Anyway, whatever. And obviously we know they don't do that because then we get the scene at the uh, nuclear um, launch site where Luther gets in. That's coming yeah. out. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's not like he put a stop to any of it. He just took what was already here and trashed it. Well, okay, Lex Luthor's C-plot <laughs> is that he wants to control nuclear arms. So now that the, all the ones that have been made are destroyed, he gathers together a group of henchmen, cartoon characters, whatever you want to call them, and basically tells them, I'm going to invent something to kill Superman so we can all be in business together. And we are to believe that not only does he pull off that invention, which we'll talk about in a sec, but he 
also like they are able to rebuild enough of a, a stockpile that they all get insanely rich in what has got to be a matter of four days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I hey. had problems with the timeline of the third one. <laughs> it seemed to go by really fast. This one is on permanent fast fall. It is. If you're going with everything else in a, in a movie that's supposed to be fantastic and silly and stuff, if you're going with it, you don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. But the problem is all that other stuff is so bad that now I'm in nitpick mode. Like everything is flying on the wall and bothering me. And everything is, I just hate everything about it. Yeah, I do too. But let's talk before we get to that, because that happens a little later on in the movie. Let's, t- before we get to his, Luthor's creation of nuclear man, let's talk about the one thing in here that I thought could have worked had they kept going with it. And that was the whole double date with Clark, uh, Lacey, Lewis, and Superman, right? Okay, so the way they did it, it didn't really work very well. But I thought that if they would have spent a little time on developing that, it could have been kind of fun to see how he escapes the scenarios constantly and turns from Superman to Clark Kent all the time. That could have been really fun. Unfortunately, they really fast-tracked it and then had Luthor basically say, you need to come here and get me because I'm going to blow this building up and whatever. But that could have been something really cool to explore. How would he do that? Because he can't blow his cover. How would he cover himself up from Superman and Clark and switch in and out like that? And they started it, and it was going kind of fun, and then it just ended. And I was like, oh, okay. You know what that would be funny on? A show like Lois and Clark or on Smallville. That would that would have been good in that sort of romantic comedy, you know, teenage era, you know, that kind of a show. It sucks in a movie, and it sucks in this movie in particular because we got, we've already said what we got, three main plots going. This is now another one, and, and or a, a sub an offshoot of one of them, and none of it is being explored fully. This movie is going fast forward, and there's no development of these people. These characters are so one-note, all the new ones in particular, that, I mean, Lacey is just a... I don't know. She she's sort of the Paris Hilton of her time. She's famous for only being rich and in new in Metropolis. You know, I mean, she knows the nightlife. There's there was supposed to be this whole scene of her and Clark going out to a, a dance club and Clark trying to dance and he lets some people from Smallville in and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, that would have been awful too. So they actually intended to follow the rom com part of it a little bit more, and it wound up getting cut because again, they had 17 million dollars and they didn't have time to shoot that stuff. But that that was intended. So they were thinking the same thing you were that this could be fun if we do it right. Yeah. But the problem is, and I'm gonna say this: I like some of Sidney J. Fury's films, but he is terrible at romance. He is awful at this. He doesn't know how to shoot it. He doesn't know how to make it work. And well, you can tell none of the actors are as into this as they need to be, except Christopher Reeve. And I will say this now. For what it is, he gives it everything he's got to try to resurrect this thing. And I would argue with that a little bit because let's look at let's look at how Christopher Reeves has done this movie. Number one, he looks terrible. He looks very thin. He's not in shape. No, he looks very thin. <laughs> but number two is he really doesn't get into the Clark Kent character very well at all in this film. Like he's standing up way straight as Clark Kent. He's not using the Clark Kent voice a lot at times when he should be. Uh, he just and sometimes his hair is Superman hair when he's Clark Kent. You know, in all the other films, they've always made it a point to have different hair for Clark than Superman. Superman was slick, nice little curve at the top. Clark's was a little messy and just combed. In this film, he's got Superman hair almost the whole time and barely ever in Clark hair. 
And I just felt like he disconnected from what he did in the past with the Clark Kent character and just kept it all Superman almost the whole thing. There are very few scenes where he was actually in Clark Kent mode. I want to posit a, an answer to this because I don't, there isn't one documented, so I can only guess here that as production got going on this thing, he realized what a stinker it was and he was disappointed in it. And yeah, he that's wasn't happy. He wasn't happy with where it was going. At that point, he and Margot Kidder had kind of, you know, they weren't really talking anymore. He had sort of insulated himself from everybody else. There was no one on the set that really knew how to keep things together. Even Richard Lester, for his boneheaded as some of the things that he wanted to do in his two films were, at least could keep everybody moving forward on the central piece. Sidney Fury inherited a mess, and he's not capable of keeping it afloat. And what we see here, and the other side of it too is, as budget constraints become more and more, and I think at the time, like, Canon Films had something like 30 films in production, so 30? I mean, can you imagine? So there was no attention being paid to this, and therefore it was just a mess. And I think as that continued forward and things kept getting cut and changed because there was no money to shoot any of it, I honestly think the guy checked out of it. I yeah. really do. And I think, and that's sad to say, but because he's going to be you know, remembered for this, among other things. Goodness hope, everybody hope to remember for the first one, maybe the second one. But he had <laughs> such a bad taste in his mouth after that third one that he finally got his way for the story he wanted and stuff, and now it's it's being done on the cheap. And uh, it's got to be disappointing to the guy. It's done on the cheap, and let's face it, Jay, it was a really piss-poor idea in the first place. Yes, it so, was. And he, he should have listened to people that told him this was a bad idea. Yes, yeah. even if they had the money, it still probably would have ended up horrible. You just would have had a little better production on the horrible. <laughs> better production and, on the horrible? Is that, is that Leprechaun 3 versus Leprechaun uh, 2 you're talking about oh there? Oh, my God. <laughs> what a difference. Now, um, wow. Uh, let's, let's, okay, let's get into the, the, the B plot, as we called it earlier. And that's Lex Luthor's building of this nuclear man, which we have already established he built off of Superman's hair. So let me get this straight. He takes a hair and turns it into a pile of goo, wraps <laughs> some fabric around it, and a computer chip, because it's got to have computers in it again, Brian, mm. and must be designed by Gus Gorman, straps <laughs> it to the side of a, of a nuclear missile. Do they, where do they fire that? Do they fire, it's a well, test launch, and they fire that into the sun launch. as well? Well, no, no, no. Oh, yes, no, it's one of the ones Superman catches, throws into the sun. Correct. And the ball of energy that comes out of it turns into the superhuman that we come to know as Nuclear Man. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? And the best part about Nuclear Man is he must have really had a crappy voice because they used Gene Hackman's voice over on him. (laughs) Oh, isn't it, though? Oh, man. Okay, let's... I want to sort of say this right now. You and I have collectively reviewed probably 140 episodes worth of stuff together. Mm -hmm. Films, Mm -hmm. Buffy, everything else. And I have to say, for all of the bad Buffy monsters of the week, you know, Reptile Boy, um, the the Prank Man, all of those, Go Fish, all of the, Go Fish looks like freaking (laughs) Godzilla (laughs) next to the idea of Nuclear Man. And how that works. And I'm sitting there and we talk about how like depressing the Reeve is and his thing. Hackman looks like I am just cashing the checks, baby. It's like he's just reading the lines and just whatever. And it is, oh, Gene Hackman is probably just as ashamed of this as anything he's ever done. 
this may be the and worst performance be. I've ever seen. Why would you give anything? And like you said, I, the, these actors had to have checked out on this a long oh. time ago because, oh, it's just terrible. But let's talk about what happens with this nuclear man, okay? Oh. First of all, we learn his weakness is if he has no sunlight, he shuts down like a computer, right? right? Just sits down and has nothing. He's just done, yeah. Okay, so that's his weakness. So he and Superman <laughs> chase each other around into space to have a fight. Why? Why space? Why do we go to space for the fight? Does that make any sense? Okay, I'll say this. Yeah, yes. Only on one reason. They've already done the fight in Metropolis before. And if they tried to do that again on the limited budget that they have, and they, they do a few things here and there, that would have paled so far in comparison. And that first one, let's face it. How can you pale in comparison to the fight that they did in Superman 2? That was horrible. No, no, it's horrible to us now. I agree. But in 1980, when that came out, Brian, that was like mind-blowing to people so seven years I later just, they can't, can't even do that. that again they can't even do that again though you got to remember so the reason to take it off of planet is because one you've got two interplanetary beings or you've got two alien beings that can do that and two it gives them a new place to fight where you don't feel like you're repeating the same blow by blow of the previous stuff okay well you, you give them an excuse that it was 1980 or whatever that excuse holds nothing to me because we have had star wars with kick-ass action scenes in there. With a lot more budget. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, they still were able to put on really good fight scenes. So if I'm in 1980-whatever that movie came out in 80, and I've seen Star Wars, and then I see a fight scene in this, I'm going to say that's pretty crap. Star Wars was 77, the time. Empire Strikes Back was 81, and Return of the Jedi was 83. So I agree, this is nothing compared to this. But again, they don't have the money to even stage part of that. That's the thing. To get worse than number two, even if it was 1980, doesn't give them an excuse. That was just horrible. <laughs> for Even for that time frame, that was horrible. They don't have the money to even recreate that, whether you liked it or not. So they've got to go somewhere else. And this is, I mean, you talk about seeing the wires, man. You can see them <laughs> everywhere on the, the gray back lot that they shot this on. Oh, it's terrible. It's I terrible. mean, this looks as bad as like those, you know, mockumentaries where they talk about faking the moon landing. <laughs> I mean, you and I so, can create this in your backyard pretty easily oh, with yeah. a dark easily. sheet and some gravel. <laughs> I mean, and yes. some styrofoam painted gray. It would take me it, nothing. It was terrible. But but here's what, what blows my mind. So they're fighting in mm -hmm. space. Then one of them retreats. The other one follows. And what happens? He he erupts a volcano <laughs> by going into it. Okay. That's what Superman do. He comes <laughs> after him, chops the top of a mountain off, and puts it on top of the volcano to stop it from erupting. What happened to I all the things that lived on top of that mountain? Well, yeah, they died. <laughs> and number two, that really probably wouldn't help because the volcanic eruption would probably blow the crap off that top. I got an idea. Why? I mean, he uses his freeze breath to stop the lava running down the hill. Why doesn't he just uh -huh. use it on the whole freaking volcano? volcano? He's already like fixed mm -hmm, yep. San Andreas' mm -hmm. fault when it was in eruption after the yeah, nuclear blast. Yeah, we know yeah. he can do that stuff. Yeah, he, the, the lava won't hurt him. Yeah, nothing will uh, hurt this it, guy. It was <laughs> except kryptonite. It was pretty sad, pretty sad. So then they go back into space and start fighting again. Then they come back down and do another thing. Then they go back into space and start fighting again. And now they get to the to the part where he gets scratched after he rescues the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, I was gonna say, Nuclear Man comes back and throws the Statue of Liberty toward Metropolis, ready to kill many. Mm -hmm. Superman intercepts it, but in the process of the interception, 
Nuclear man cat claws him on the back of his neck with his silver fingernail. Yes. Okay, so we know one thing about Superman, Jay, and that is that his power comes from what? Nuclear the sun. The sun. Because yes. when okay. you put him in the shadow, so, he turns all But up. he's powered by the sun. So how is Nuclear Man scratching him going to hurt him? I, uh, how does the green it crystal shouldn't. not kill him, but the other green crystal does? I don't know. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. Plot this, to me, that was kind of weird. So it gives him this, like, flu type Yeah, he, illness, he gets, like, right? the super flu. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what happens. He's just sitting. But then it also turns him, like, really old all of a sudden. I guess well, this that is happens in like a split second because he's been out. He's been out of work for a couple weeks, right? I know that's what they say. He's been he hasn't showed up for a couple weeks. Fire him, and nobody <laughs> puts it together that Superman has been quote unquote dead, and Clark's been out of the office for a couple weeks. No one puts that together. No. Okay, fine, whatever. Lois goes to Lois visit goes him. to see him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's he looks fine. No, no, no. We got, wait, hold on. Like we got to talk about that conversation they have for just a second, though. Oh, absolutely. Because, again, it's like Lois still knows he is Superman because she's talking about, well, if I never saw Superman again, I'd want him to know that I loved him and I appreciated him and blah, blah, blah. And she's saying this as her friend is sick and dying. And it's like the look between them is like, we both know that we know what we're talking about and not talking about. Is the super kiss even super? Well, I think, like I said, does it just knock out short-term memory or what? That That's my question. I don't know. But yeah, I agree. It was like Lois was saying, look, Clark, I know you're Superman, but I'm going to I'm gonna talk to you like you're going to see Superman before I am. So here we go. Right. Tell him I love him, that he was always there for me, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Right? Oh, I'm sure if Superman were here, he would say that he really cares about you, too. <laughs> okay. So please. what does Clark do? He goes to his terrace, and he gets the Kryptonian energy crystal that he got from Smallville, right? And he starts to cuddle yeah. it as his mother's voice says, if you use this power, it'll be the last time you can ever use it. And I'm like, again, with the last time we can ever do it. <laughs> I'm like, why don't he go get some of that acid from Smallville and just pour that on himself? Why does he, right. why does he just break it in half so he has two version, two crystals? <laughs> No. I, don't I don't know, but 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 how does it heal him? <laughs> does he swallow it? Does good... he insert it like an enema? How does it heal him? It's a fantastic question. My question is, how does he get old between the conversation with with Lois and getting to the crystal, which is in the same exact within seconds? I mean, he it feels like eight, about eight scenes got cut, and I'm, by cut I don't mean like uh, we're shot and then thrown on the ground. Like we're just going to skip ahead, I just edited out. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. I'm like, whoa, Superman's all of a sudden a geezer. Yeah, well, he's like this <laughs> he radiation just... poisoned, you know, awful. And then all then, bump da da, he's Superman again. <laughs> of course, right? I mean, what else could he be? Oh, oh man. But then, then the fight on the moon, Jay. Yes, the fight on the moon. Okay, well, here's the, Nuclear Man has developed a crush on Lacey <laughs> for reasons that make just from seeing her in the magazine or in the newspaper. Exactly. So. He, (laughs) Superman, shows back up and agrees to take Nuclear Man to her to prevent anyone else from being hurt because, you know, Nuclear Man is blowing stuff up at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And his trap is Nuclear, Superman gets Nuclear Man in an elevator and then throws it to the dark side of the moon. Now, hold on a second. There's always at least one side of the moon that is dark, all right? Let's keep that in mind. When they go to it, Mm -hmm. 
it is no longer dark. It is exactly as lit as the other side of the moon. Well, apparently the sun comes up on the other, the dark side of the moon, which we know. Which it would happen. not be the dark side anymore. It would be the light side right. of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so Superman's aim <laughs> sucks. That's what that means. Yeah, they, pretty much. They get into much. the fight on the moon. All right. But and it appears uh, at the end he's done because Nuclear Man, instead of stabbing him again, because, you know, hey, that actually worked last time, just pop, right. pummels him into the surface of the moon. <laughs> because we know burying Superman beneath things will work. Then Nuclear Man goes back to get his would be girlfriend, right? <laughs> and oh, this is my favorite. Superman yeah. then decides he is going to now, now that he's already like you know given the entire solar system a bad dose of radiation. <laughs> he's now going to destroy the tides. <laughs> but he's gonna he's gonna f the Earth up hardcore. <laughs> he moves the moon out of orbit to create an eclipse to nullify nuclear man's powers. Okay, that's bad enough. But then what do we see? Nuclear Man has taken Lacey into space. Yes. And she's fine. She's not dead. She's breathing like nothing's (laughs) happening. Uh, I'm sorry, but she would be deader than nails at that point. She would be so dead. And she would be as dead as this franchise is. (laughs) This is, this is, I mean, that's when I realized I was like, yeah, this is, there's no coming back. This is this is yeah. toast at this point. It's, it's bad. It is so mm-hmm. bad. But now that Nuclear Man has been depowered by the moved moon, never mind all the damage being done on the rest of the Earth, Superman decides, I know how to take this guy out. He throws him into the core of a nuclear power plant, and it destroys him. And he yep. drops the line later to Lex Luthor. It was just a simple physics problem, Lex. That's all it took to uh, solve this. I was like, "What?" I, you know, I don't remember much about physics, but I'm fairly certain causing nuclear chain reactions is not something considered to be a good idea. <laughs> so, and and my favorite part of that is is after he goes into the nuclear reactor, he powers the whole city up. Like nobody has to turn their lights on; they just come on all alone. Yeah, yeah so much energy. We're just gonna light everything up. Yeah, now we now we have an energy surge. A surplus. Yes. Yep, yep. So we can sell that off so we can build some more nuclear weapons that Superman's already destroyed. That's how the B plot ends. <laughs> but the A plot, Terry White has secured enough loans to buy a controlling interest of the newspaper so he fires the Warfield owner guy. And I, oh, he doesn't fire him. He just takes he just him makes him a, He just leaves him. No, he makes him a minority owner, so he has no So say. He, takes the, he takes the position back, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have this press conference where Superman gets up and makes a political speech. <laughs> I quoted it at the end of the plot summary. I want to do it again uh, just so I can hear your reaction to this line, Fred. There will be peace when the people of the world want it so badly that their governments will have no choice but to give it to them. And as he delivers that line, Brian, I promise I saw tears in Christopher Reeve's eyes. And all I could think was like, he's either really passionate about this or he knows I will never, ever get to do this again. I better ham it up one last time. Um, I don't know what his reaction's from. It's almost as bad as Lois crying when he announces he's going to pr- save the world from nuclear threat the first time. Yeah. Uh, give me a break. 
When the governments can't help but have to do it because the people want us to be. When did the government give a crap at the people? Yeah, that that never. Uh, Yeah, that doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that is supposed to be some sort of riff on, if you've ever seen it, Dwight Eisenhower's final speech as president. When he talks about how in the age of the Cold War, we can't allow the military industrial complex to outweigh the, you know, what it means to to be citizens of the United States and of the world and to, you know, domestic prosperity and stuff like that. The warning against, you know, too much of this kind of thing can be a bad thing. And, of course, we all ignored that. (laughs) We're there and we are where we are now. So. It feels like that, but it's really half-assed. Like, it's just oh, bad. Yeah. And it's beyond half-assed. But the last thing is Superman takes Lenny to Boys Town. <laughs> Lenny's been under bad influence. He's got to get reformed. He's got, he's got to go get him reformed. Just like Gus got dropped off at the coal plant <laughs> or whatever. Give him a job. Yeah, mm-hmm. give him a job. He's probably- Not only did he try to destroy me. Yeah, I would have been cool if, like, Lenny got dro- got dropped off with Gus at the diner. You know, or whether he beat the crap out of that guy at the end of Superman 2. That would have been the ultimate thing. Those three guys working together. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Luther gets taken back to prison at the rock pile. And, like, when he flies up, they're waiting on him. They're like, there you are. They don't shoot him on sight. (laughs) And what does Superman say? (laughs) See you in another 25. I'm like, he is never getting out of prison. Ever. Well, yeah, he just escaped his prison sentence, so it would be quite a bit more than what he got before, buddy. Anyway, again, it just shows the judicial system of Metropolis is crap. It's very <laughs> awful. And and then Superman flies off for more adventures into the sunset. But what we know, he really flies off for nearly 20 years before they get another one uh, back on screen, Brian. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow, sir. I have no words I- for what we just saw. I don't either, Jay, but that leads us into the uh, popcorn ratings time. So, Jay, why don't you give us your popcorn rating here? Is it is it not obvious? Small, burnt, <laughs> awful. I mean, as bad as that last one was, and it's bad. Okay, this one isn't. This one is even less fun, less mirth, less <laughs> good. Luck. It less fun to even make fun of. Like I think the third one's more fun to watch with a group of people and make fun of. This one, Absolutely. I would not for. Well, I forced you, but I wouldn't force anyone else to watch. <laughs> this piece of crap in fact i can tell you now i will never watch this again ever never ever in fact i will take my disc and probably hurl it into the sun because i want nothing to do with superman 4 and i'm only thankful that they did get off of this track after this was over no do not watch small popcorn Jay, I think you said it really well there. Here's my popcorn rating here. You go to your cupboard and you look inside and you have a small bag of or a small popcorn that you can put together. You have a medium popcorn you can put together. You have a really big popcorn you can put together. And right next to that, you have a little bottle of syrup of Ipecac. You're going to take the syrup of Ipecac over watching this movie. <laughs> It's so bad. You don't want popcorn or anything. You're just going to take the most nasty thing you can have and shove it in your mouth. This is terrible. And like you said, Jay, I didn't know how they could get much worse than three. Three looks golden compared to this. I mean, it's this is just crap. The effects are bad. The acting's horrible. The the script is atrocious. The character, the nuclear man, is pathetic. Uh there's no redeeming qualities of this movie. The only thing I could that I even enjoyed was the part that they cut short with the whole double date thing, which I thought could have been cool. Everything else, it was just 
unbelievable. My notes, I've never, we've watched one. This is the fourth Superman we've watched, Jay. Yes. And I've never had so many notes and all of them basically going, ending in the letters WTF. <laughs> <laughs> Almost all of them ending in the letters WTF. Yeah. Just skip it, boys and girls. You do not need this for anything Superman related. It's not worth your time. Not at all. And the world felt the same way for a long time. You, They couldn't get a Superman movie made for a long time after this. It took forever for them to get the Lois and Clark TV show. It took even another forever to get Smallville going. And, and then they got into the mood of we wanted to do another one. And then they went through everyone. I mean, Nicholas Cage, Tim Burton, John Peters, who still wound up being involved with it. Kevin Smith wrote a script. The story of Superman Returns is as sordid as what has taken us to here. <laughs> and we'll try to cover some of that next time because that's the next piece before we get to Man of Steel. Uh, which I, I got to tell you, man, I, the more trailers of it I see, I just have hope. But at the very worst, Brian, that movie is going to be the fourth best Superman movie in the list. <laughs> no matter what it does, it's at least going to be there. Maybe even third. You can probably put it ahead of one of yeah. the others. I mean, really, it's it's at least going to clock in at that point just by, you know, process of elimination. Because we've had two in a row that are complete throwaways. I mean, total throwaways. Yeah. And Brian Singer would agree with us because he never intended ever to reference anything in these, he says, though we know he does. So <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to that when we get there. But, folks, thanks for joining us in this latest episode of Filmstrip. You can find other episodes in our archive section of our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Click on the movies icon and all kinds of stuff there. We've talked about some of them during the show and tons of other episodes there all kinds of stuff horror comedy romantic comedy action adventure sci-fi a little bit of everything you can also find links to our facebook and twitter accounts hook up with us on our social media let us know what you think if, hey, if you like this or if there's something about it you dig let us know what we missed and we'd be glad to you know, respond to you on that leave us a review on itunes and you can also find links to our other podcasts the art of slaying our Nothing vampire slayer retrospective and the favorite factor our general movie discussion podcast until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. And that you're um, totally impervious to pain. Well, so far. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17. Farewell forever. forever.